Will the Bills be aggressive in their pursuit for a corner? How has RJ impacted the Sabres fandom through the years? And will Tiger Woods roar one last time? All of this and more on the Buffalonian Podcast. Once again, they call me Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Skin him up, him him, so I'm up in those kilts. Up in those kilts. Up, up in those kilts. Man, you don't want to go up in those hills. Up in those hills. Up, up in those hills. You better be where stay clear. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Buffalo this is the Buffalonian Podcast. Joe Kelly here along with Dominic Loss and Michael Marino. And we are coming at, right at you with some Bills news. Dom, take us away. Well, I mean, this week Jeremy Fowler reported that, you know, there are three teams expressing interest in uh, Stephon Gilmore, the ex-Bill, ex-Patriot, and probably going to be the ex-Panther uh, cornerback. And one of those teams was the Bills along with the Chiefs and Eagles. So uh, what do you guys think about the ex-corner maybe making a return to Buffalo? See... Me personally, he had kind of a rough exit from the team. Um, wasn't favored in a lot of people's hearts, you could say. Uh, I don't know how the reception would be with him coming back. I mean, you know, the complaint for him was, you know, he didn't get enough TV time. So maybe, you know, the bills are a little more relevant. and he, He'll get the TV time he wants. So we'll see how it goes. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you, put, it, you put it right. The way he left, he, he kind of salted the waters, you know, just kind of made it so that he probably wouldn't come back. But maybe he didn't think that we'd get a player like a Josh Allen who could just elevate everybody around him. I mean, there's no doubt Gilmore would be a great second option to trade because he's older. He's going to be, I believe, 32. So he probably isn't that number one corner anymore. But he would be a number two for Trey. And he was Defensive Player of the Year three years ago. So, I mean, again, he'd be good, but I don't think he's coming back. Well, he also, you know, he proved last year coming off his injury that he still has. I mean, he was a pro bowler last year. He definitely has nothing to think. He also, to your point about the national television, he also joined the Patriots and the dark side of the force, you know. Yeah, yeah, the dark side of the AFC East. But Mm -hmm. the real question for me is, how does he fit in the cap? Well, the the Bills would have to make uh, some cap space moves because I think they're hovering just over a million dollars. They could do that with just some easy options of restructuring the contracts of Deion Dawkins and Trey White. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a cap expert, but from people that I trust, they said that if you convert some of their money into uh, Sally uh, signing bonus, uh, they could uh, have $15 million in cap space just opened up just like that. So there's definitely room for Gilmore, but you know as... You know, his wife said uh, in March, uh, I'm not going back to spaces I left. Hope that helps. So, um, yeah, that's you know. kind of a, a period there. I'm saying if you if you are able to free up $15 million, I don't necessarily think the Bills should spend it all on one player. I think they could spend it on a few players to fill some of their holes. Well, yeah. What other holes would you assume other than well, obviously cornerback? Well, yeah, second corner. I think adding Backup more competition – more competition, even an offensive line. I'd say a wide receiver, just a veteran guy. Um, maybe a running back, too. Like, I think Singletary could be good, but I don't think he's a workhorse like some of these guys in the league right now. Well, they added Duke Johnson, who's a very solid 2-3 to three running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to trade Zach Moss to trade up in the draft at some point in the middle rounds. I think he's going to be gone. So, um, you know, I think a cheaper option maybe than Gilmore is Joe Hayden. I think the Bills have been linked to him a little bit. Obviously, with James Bradbury, with the Giants, you know, the Bills' connections there, they could trade a mid-round pick uh, for Bradbury, but they would probably have to have some of his salary retained. Don't forget about that Carolina connection with Bradbury. 
you know, you, you got you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone's a Carolina guy. Just, uh, just Stephon Gilmore went to uh, the Panthers, but obviously, you know, McDermott and Bean were not there that time. But um, obviously, there's some other news with the Bills with, you know, Rick Bates. Well, I guess I should say Ryan Bates. Uh, he officially is uh, signed today, and same thing with uh, Taiwan Jones. Obviously, those are solid depth moves for the Bills. Obviously, with Tywan Jones, he was a captain last year, very good leader in the locker room. Obviously, a very solid gunner, and obviously, McDermott cares a lot about uh, special teams. And, uh, you know, Rick Bates, Ryan Bates, had a very good uh, end of the year, and, you know, we'll see. I don't think that stops the Bills from necessarily adding to that interior offensive line, but very solid to see him back and not in the Windy City. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you just got to get his name right. That's the that's the next yeah, thing you got to do. I think we're starting to Rick Bates counter. Yeah, Rick Bates. Up to two. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm Dawson Knox, man. I'm 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 Dawson Knox. I I can't say his. You know, it's it's Rick to me. I don't know what to say at this point. Uh, let's segue to you know some free agency talk to uh, a little bit of some uh, draft talk with the Bills. Obviously, you know this is the time prospects meet with organizations and. Obviously, we'll see some prospects that, you know, uh, are meeting with the Bills. And what do you guys think so far with the names you've heard? Uh, I know I've heard Zion Johnson. He's an offensive lineman. He wouldn't be the worst player to take because I know we have some needs at the offensive line. Um, I think someone else that they had to talk with that I saw was Kyle Hamilton, which I don't think he's dropping to 25, but it's just good to meet with players like that, you know, just in case something happens where you decide to trade up or he falls for some reason, like, it's good to meet with the players like that. Well, also with Hamilton, he didn't run the 40 particularly well, and now there is some concern. Obviously, on tape, he has very good game speed, but he did not test very well. I think he ran like a 4.7 on his pro day at ND, so there is some concern mm. that he might drop out of the top 10. So, as you said, it might not be drafting him at 25, but there could be a possibility of them drafting him by trading up with someone. Uh, and with Zion Johnson, you know, we said last segment, with Ryan Bates, uh, it doesn't stop them from adding the position. Uh, Roger Stafford is only uh, signed for one year, and he's, you know, 34. So they need to add some young guys to the interior offensive line. Yeah, I know Brandon Bean at the um, the owners' meeting, he was uh, doing an interview, and he was always saying how he wants everybody to be able to compete, and he's always looking to bring in guys to compete. So... He's never, like, satisfied, it sounded like, so. Well, I feel like, you know, just not looking at a free agency or draft perspective, you know, bringing in O.J. Howard, Dawson Knox had a breakout season. They're going to have to compete, I think, you know. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to be something. Well, I think um, adding to that, uh, I think Ken Dorsey was saying how he wants to roll with some two tight end sets, too. So having two good tight ends, you know. Yeah, not Tommy Sweeney. Yeah, Tommy Sweeney, you know, he's not really that <laughs> second tight end that you want no no offense to tommy sweeney no 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 hate here. for tommy but seems like a nice dude yeah, nice guy but no hands just did not yeah, get the job done do it. not saying i could do any better but he, he wasn't doing it he wasn't he wasn't dawson no he was not especially when dawson broke his hand that's where we see the jaguar result yeah and still threw a touchdown mind you while he broke his hand and giving everyone the bird mm-hmm. what a guy also with uh obviously there's news uh a little bit ago of the bill is possibly being aggressive and trading up in the first round. Um, obviously, Bean has done this before. Obviously, getting Josh Allen. 
yeah. getting Tremaine Edmonds. He's also done it throughout the draft, uh, getting Cody Ford and Zay Jones, as we talked about a little bit last pod. So yeah. what do you guys think this means, this report that we are getting about them possibly looking to trade up in the draft? Well, I do agree with you. Brandon Bean is an absolute menace with trading up into the draft. I mean, there's nothing like it. The guy just goes and gets what he wants. And I think what he wants this season is a cornerback. Like I said last week, I think that's where they're moving toward. Um I don't see how you could go without it, especially with the cap space we have. Unless we make the moves like you were saying in the beginning, there's really no other option. I agree. You had to, yes, you had to either add a vet corner, which I think they might do, maybe not on the high end of Hayden or Gilmore. They might find some other, or trade for Brady. They might find a depth guy and then do right. what you say. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, no, I agree with you guys. If we're trading up, I think we're targeting a corner. I mean, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Derek Stingley from LSU, uh, even Trent McDuffie. You know, I've seen in recent mocks, you know, those guys going really early. So, you know, it, it's weird because some of these mock drafts I've seen, they're just completely different from before. I've seen ones with like Trayvon Walker now going first overall. But earlier it was Evan Neal going first overall or Ike Iquanu, even Aiden Hutchinson. So it's just it's just been all over. There's no bona fide number one overall pick this year. Well, that's because the quarterback class is not very good. So No, nothing like the 2018 where we got QB1. Hey, the one mock draft has uh, Malik Willis number two overall. Yep, to the Detroit Lions. They're gonna <laughs> bite some. He's gonna help them bite some kneecaps off. Yeah, that that's that is not Detroit Lion talk for me. Okay, I, I, Dan Campbell, nice dude. This is the <laughs> Buffalo. This is the Buffalo Sports <laughs> podcast. Um, so I created three different scenarios uh, for you boys to pick which one the best one is. So the Bills stay twenty five. Tom McShane is recent mock draft. Uh, has them picking Anthony Booth out of Clemson. I think that's a little bit much for him to fall. So if Booth isn't there, assume Stingley's not there and Gardner isn't there, uh, you get to pick your cornerback four. So that's scenario one. You either pick your cornerback four. What do you guys think about that? Hmm. So like your Trent McDuffie's of your world, your Kyler Gordon's of your world. I think that's fine. Yeah. You still have Trey White. Yeah, I I don't – and White will be healthy – Mid October, late October, is that is that what the report was? Something like that. Yeah, there's no doubt that like obviously you'd want your number two corner just to be as good as your number one corner, but it's it's Trey White. You know he's a top five corner in the league, so it's not really pressing that you need to give up as much to get someone who'll probably be a starting corner. Okay, okay. So compare that scenario to this scenario: the Bills trade up to number twelve in the draft with the Minnesota Vikings to pick, to pick. Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU. They get the 12th overall pick, and for that, the Bills trade the 25th pick, the 57th pick, which is the second-round pick this year, and next year's third-round pick. They might have to throw in another, like, day-three pick to, you know, get the points all together or whatever. But wh- what what scenario do you like more? Trading up for Derek Stingley, who I think is the best corner in the draft, who has dealt with some injuries... Dealt a bad situation at LSU, but I think his tape in 2019 is better than Sauce Gardner's in 2021. I think he's the best corner in the draft, easily has top five potential, and he would have Trey White, a fellow LSU man, to be his mentor in the NFL. No, I think that that's a good scenario because, I mean, obviously you have that history with the Vikings and making big trades. You know, look, we got stuff on Diggs. So I think the willingness to trade is there because uh, Minnesota, right now I kind of think they're in like a rebuild Sort of retooling, I guess. Some some sort, yeah. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. they're not, you know, I don't think pressing for a Super Bowl, but I think they want to at least compete for a playoff spot. But I could see them wanting to trade back, get some more picks to kind of uh, boost that forward and build through draft. While we 
get Derek Stingley, who, like you said, when he was healthy, showed to be the best corner in this draft. And pairing him with Trey would just be like, well, where do you throw if you're a quarterback? No, I I definitely would have to agree with that. Um, I also think Tredavious White, like you said, fellow LSU man, um, I feel like he's as good of a mentor as anybody, you know, one of the best to be in the game right now, best cornerbacks. And uh, having that, you know, the time where he's not playing mm-hmm. is mentor time, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, really sit him down and, you know, watch what he does and help him advise against, you know, things he does wrong and help him with things he did good with, you know? And obviously, you know, a lot of young corners have been able to develop in the, you know, Frazier and McDermott era, like Dean Jackson, like Tredavious White, like Taron Johnson. So I think... Yeah, you could say they have a pretty good track record with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. An advanced one, actually. So I think that would actually be a great landing spot for him. And I do see him possibly dropping to 12 because of the Liz Frank injury that he had in his foot. Even though he says he's 100%, those injuries are kind of always up in the air and what happened you know the last two seasons at LSU with effort you now in a tough spot but he didn't show as much effort he did his freshman year and my last my last scenario for you guys is the Bills trade up to number seven with the New York football giants uh to pick Sauce Gardner with their old buddy Dable mm-hmm. they trade they get the seventh pick and exchange the Bills trade the 25th pick next year's first round pick the 89th overall pick which is the third round pick this year and they probably had to throw in as I said another like day three pick to make it all work. So I think Gardner is a safer bet than Stingley. Um, but I think Stingley has more potential, but I think Gardner will go first. So it just depends on who they want more. This is obviously more expensive to trade up, but I think this might be like, I think Stingley has a higher ceiling, but maybe a lower floor than Gardner. So what do you guys think of this scenario? Um, I don't mind that at all. I mean, lucky number seven pick for us, you know, um, and losing the later picks like that, I really don't see... Our team is pretty much built, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, we kind of have the pieces put together. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're in a rebuild phase and we need those picks, necessarily, the later ones. So, I could definitely see that happening. But I think also, you know, we forget about Dean Jackson as well. I mean, he, he came in and played his played his heart out. You know what I mean? He, he stepped in for Tredavious White and... Um, in my opinion, I think he kind of outdid um, Levi a little bit, you but, know. But also, Trey's not going to be healthy the first month, and you need a corner to somehow play. With right? No, I'm I'm with you on that. All I'm saying is, I don't think we give him the cornerback spot with Trey right away. I think you got to have J- Dane and him play it out a little bit and see which absolutely one's competition. Fit. As you know, Mike as, said, competition, competition, right. competition. Yeah. So this uh, scenario here, um, I think it's a bold one. Moving up from twenty-five to seven. That's you know. That's pretty much from the end of the draft right to the beginning of the draft. I mean, as a person watching the draft, I'd love to see the Bills pick in the top 10 uh, just because then I don't have to wait around, you know, the entire night watching it. Get to go to bed early. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, Sauce Gardner would be good. But, you know, this is kind of like, in my opinion, a Los Angeles Rams approach. You know, you see how they're just willing to trade picks for – well, they do it for experienced players. In this case, we're doing it for a corner. Um in being I trust, I would say, if he feels that it would benefit the team now and in the, the uh, short future to win a Super Bowl, then go for it. But if there's any doubt, I think you should just stay pat where you are. Well, I think this scenario, I think there has to be some, like, Bean has to think that Gardner is absolutely better than Stingley and yes. a better fit to do this move. Uh, I think 
the second scenario, he must think Stingley is better than any other of the corners that he thinks is going to booth any of those corners. He thinks there's a gap between CB2 and CB3. And if he stays at 25, he thinks they're all kind of starting caliber and there's not as big a drop-off. So where would you guys rank the scenarios? If you, you know, your top scenario, medium, worst. Where would you guys rank? Joe, start with you. Um, honestly, I think I'd go 2-1-3 because I do agree with Mike. I do like the third scenario with trading up for number seven it's just i think it's unlikely you know what i mean like trading up that high in the draft yeah honestly i'd like it in the order it is one two three because yeah the first month of the year you're going to be down trey but when he comes back you know you're going to have that bona fide number one corner and then you can have either you know uh kyler gordon um kier Elam being that number two even dane jackson being a number two so Mm -hmm. yeah I like, I'm going to, you know, coward out here a little bit. I'm going to tie second one. I think third is the worst option by far. Agreed. Because I don't think Stingley is that much worse than Gardner to, for me to go up another five spots and trade that first round pick for next year and trade another premium pick in the third round. So I don't think that's even a good option. I think the only good options are one and two. And it really depends on me who this who the Bills like so much at 25 and who's available. So Yeah, it really depends on what uh, Bean's board is. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back with more Buffalonian podcast right after this. Here at the Buffalonian podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. Um, if you are interested, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Buffalonian underscore pod and um, DM us any information. And our email is also in the description as well for any business hearings. Um, and also, if you're just listening and would like to comment or ask questions or have us talk about something, a topic on the next show, feel free to DM us and uh, let us know. And if it fits in with the next episode, we will for sure get to it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. We are back with the Buffalonian podcast. And God damn it, RJ Knight, what a night. Mike, what do you have to say? No, it's, it was great to see the atmosphere like that for him. You know, he just means so much to this franchise. Like, you think of the Buffalo Sabres, you think Rick Jenneret. So just seeing that the fans will come out and support him like that is just amazing. Well, you know, it's when you think of the Sabres, you don't think of, like, Hashik, you don't think of Perot, you think of RJ first. And for him to get the first sellout of the season for the Sabres was pretty special. And not only for that, for them to dominate a playoff team in the process – also quite special as absolutely well. absolutely you know it just shows that giving the fans a reason to come they will turn up you know it's kind of like the old um field of dream saying if you build it they will come absolutely. if there's a reason for sabers fans to be there they will show up they just they just need that hope and i think the sabers are starting to give them that hope right and you know they're i mean hot take as i said last week you know they're going to the cup next season you know but i mean that that fire is back in the fans. I mean, you could even tell just the atmosphere on a non-sold-out game. Yeah, and the game that we went to, uh, you know, Sunday against the Panthers, that was their third largest crowd of the year behind Eichel Knight and RJ Knight. So, yeah, you know. And coincidentally, Sam Reinhart now plays for the opposing team, so. And Brandon Montour. And Brandon Montour. And Robert, Robert Hag. Robert uh, Hag as well. How could I forget? Oh, my gosh. So, you know. In the spirit of talking about RJ and his impact on, you know, the Sabres community for, you know, a half a century, what are your guys' favorite RJ call? Your number one call you think of right when you hear RJ. So, 
when I think RJ, you know, I think about, you know, the playoff calls he has. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that you are just um, attracted to, that you want to listen to when you're on YouTube and you're going through all those compilations of him. Uh, the one I think of that just resonates with me would be the scary good call when Jason Pomville gets the overtime winner in Ottawa. I, I that That is a great, great, great of, favorite call. Of course call. it is, as, your, as of... No. Yeah, I might but, have some bias as a Jason Pominville fan, but you can't tell me that's not one of his best calls. No, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, mine personally would have to be the Brian Campbell hit. Oh, what a hit by Campbell. Oh, he rocked him. The electricity of that call really does just get me every time, especially in playoff hockey like that one. And in the Goatheads. Right. Yes. Making a return next season. Well, hopefully. Not official yet, but hopefully. You know, Ru- heavily rumored. Heavily rumored. Well, I think we all grew up with like these awesome call a cop, uh, top shelf for Mama Hines of cookies. But those were like he repeated those a lot. Same thing with Scary Good. You know, he repeated that after the you know ten game winning streak, and then you know we all know what happened after that. He said that. So, <laughs> you know, my favorite with no bias at all is when Dominic Hasek makes a diving save, and uh, he says, "Brother, we are not worthy." He was the best goalie of all time, and I'm not just I'm not saying that because him and I share the same name. I know he spells it with a K at the end, and I spell it with a C, but it was a great save. RJ elevates the moment with an absolute tremendous call. A lot of great calls by RJ, especially Mayday, too. I know we didn't discuss that, <laughs> uh, but what a guy. What, a, what an absolute legend. It's going to be sad and weird to not hear him. Uh, I know, it's the guy we grew up with. Like, exactly. you know, it's it's like, the guy and, our parents grew up with. I know, that's the even craziest the craziest part about it it's just i don't really like there have been other people that do it but i think of him immediately and to not have him is going to be very weird it's going to be very sad mm-hmm. absolutely especially when his last call is coming up later i believe this month so yeah against you know patty kane the buffalo native uh so you know talking about rj talking about how great this team has been we unfortunately went to the sunday game against the panthers when you know, the point streak, the eight-game point streak ended. Uh, boys, how how would you think, how would you grade the fan experience that we had at that game? Uh, I mean, I think it was overall very good because we had been to games previous to that, and it was just kind of dull, The 50-50 really only reached about $4,000, so exactly. it was really nothing. So coming to this game, you know, people were cheering, people were getting into it. Um, music, I will say, was pretty loud. The acoustics in that building are a little rough. Yeah, don't even don't even get me started on that. They started playing Metallica, and I just couldn't even think to myself anymore. Um, one thing I just want to add about that game: refs totally killed the vibe. Uh, many missed calls that you know, even a blind man could could make, and uh, you know it's just unacceptable in my opinion. You know, Dom, what do you think? Well, you know, talking about the fan experience first, the music was really loud, <laughs> and my ears are still ringing, and it's Tuesday. Um, also, I don't know who picks the bands. But the oh. bands they've been picking have been god awful. My dad said it best. He does wonder how much you know he can pay the band to stop playing. They've been that bad. They started playing in sync, and they were just not in sync. <laughs> it, was, it was it was bad. It was so, really bad. But I thought you know it being kids' day, having like the kids' pictures, uh, drawings when they scored. I thought that was a really cool touch. Um, so I mean, obviously not being a kid, you know, having to accept that was tough. But. Uh, you know, it it was a lot of fun being around all those kids, especially all those first-time ge- people. Are, you know, tough that it's the first L that they had to take, but, you know, we've been Seems through a lot. Seems every game we go to as a group, they take an L. I think it's a pattern. They they did play well, 
uh, that second period and the start of the third that, you know, I will say that. The goaltending, in my opinion, was a little lackluster in the second period. Well, I mean, we well, that topic will be hit home plenty in the offseason, how they need to find another goalie, maybe another two goalies. So, yeah. I mean, they got dominated on five on five, but they scored two nice power play goals. You thought they had a chance. The Thompson uh, penalty was definitely a trip. The Samuelson one was not a hook, and that really just ended the game because obviously Florida scored 10 seconds after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no, no, as, your no point, as your point to the bad refs. Yes, no chance coming back from that. And it's not even bad because they, you know, basically ended the game for us. Like, okay, I could argue maybe that one of at least one of those calls was correct. But there were blatantly missed calls that were just, you know, us being tripped. The, the stick was in between Skinner's legs and no call was made. And he was on the ground. I mean, think about the second goal of the game for the Sabres. They th- originally, uh, you know, said on the ice there was no goal because of uh, goalie interference, but it was obvious from, like, where we were sitting that Millstack got pushed into the goalie. So, I mean, I'm glad that they changed it, but it was still ridiculous that we were even in that, you know, situation. Um, so, you know, with the Sabres, you know, good season so far. Hopefully they continue this last month and, you know, ride that momentum. They, just because it's over doesn't mean that momentum stopped. They right. still have – they played hard. They got to keep playing hard this last month of the year. No, I agree with that completely. Um, just finish strong this year. Bring that in the next year. Um, next year, I think, of their playoff caliber if they play like this. I'm thinking they might be competing for that wild card. I don't know if they're going to make it at the end of the season. They're still going to be a young team. Right. They're, they're not going to be better than any of the top four in the Atlantic in Boston, Toronto, Tampa, Bay, or Florida, I think. But, you know, that fifth spot's wide open. But, you know, we've talked a lot of Sabres, a little RJ. Let's talk a little prospect talk. Uh, you know, we hear the news uh, that Devin Levi is returning to Northeastern. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I don't think that's the worst thing because, you know, he's only 20 years old. And we've seen, you know, recently in the NHL, goaltenders coming up at that age. They have hot starts, but they kind of cool off as they get uh, more seasons in. So give him another year in college. He had an absolutely great year. Worthy of a Hobie Baker, honestly. The numbers not even a finalist. Like they were like video game numbers when mm-hmm. he did at Northeastern. It's like you're playing some NHL twenty two. Exactly. I mean that that goal that ended their season that was rough. You know he tried to play it. It just just didn't work out for him. Okay. He put he put in the effort to try to make it. I thought he saved it with the glove, but they reviewed it. It did cross the line. Overall, I don't think it's the worst idea because we still have a UPL who's going to need some time. Uh, that gives us a shot if Portillo wants to come out of college and Michigan's done. Uh, plus, you know, we have interest in bringing back Craig Anderson. So I think we have options, and it's not um, the worst thing. Well, I think they're going to get the young guys, you know, some some looks uh, down the road in this season. Obviously, it's already been rumored that Owen Power is going to sign after the Frozen Four. Uh, obviously, Ryan Johnson and Portillo are in the participating in the Frozen Four. It's paramount that they sign Portillo because... Next year, he can stay his junior in College of Michigan and then just leave as a UFA. So it was important. I think it's good. It's kind of good for the Sabres that Levi is not coming out because they have his rights for another year after this. That Portillo, if he comes out now, can now have time, maybe get some NHL time, and then I think he'll be the starter in Rochester next year. Yeah, uh, just adding to the fact about the Portillo, you don't want another Cal Peterson situation. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Another day, man. Yeah, I mean, getting power, getting jo- hopefully Ryan Johnson signs, getting Portillo, and then maybe getting, you know, Quinn and J.J. Paterka, uh enough time, like kind of what Casey Millstat did in his little six-game 
uh, experiment before he s- stepped on the NHL team for the full time. Obviously, it didn't really work for Casey because he wasn't he had to get sent back down. But you know, just getting those young guys some time and well competing at the same time as we hard as we've talked about, I think is really important for this organization moving forward for, forward into the future. Right, and um, back to staying in college another year. I think it's honestly just practice the craft at this point. Just keep building on your game, and um, I mean. Being that young and going professional like that, you know, you've seen how Jack Eichel didn't really develop. Granted, he's older than Jack Eichel, but he never developed that, you know... um, Leadership. Exactly. Like, Jack Eichel was named captain because he was simply the best player on the team at that point, but that shouldn't be how it is. Like, and I'm not saying he's going to be named a captain. I'm saying just keep practicing and working your way up and just value the hard work it took to get there, you know? Absolutely, and, you know... he seems like a hard-working kid, and, you know, the Sabres have a lot of prospects coming up. They're going to be a young team. It's exciting. The fans, they have hope. We're coming back. As they, as you say, Joe, we we're making some, a run for the cup next they're season. They're going to raise some banners next year. Yes, sir. All right, we'll be back with the Buffalonian Podcast right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. Um, if you are interested... Feel free to follow us on Instagram at buffalonian underscore pod and um, DM us any information. And our email is also in the description as well for any business hearings. Um, And also, if you're just listening and would like to comment or ask questions or have us talk about something, a topic on the next show, feel free to DM us and uh, let us know. And if it fits in with the next episode, we will for sure get to it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. It's that time again, boys. It's debate time on the pod. Joe versus Mike. The topic they are debating is looking back uh, from a year ago about the NFL changing the number of restrictions for players. Uh, We have seen this this week already with Taron Johnson switching from number 24 to number 7. And obviously O.J. Howard, the new tight end, is actually number 8. I believe he wore number 80 for Tampa Bay. Yes. So looking back at this from a year ago, from perspective from a year ago, did the NFL make the right decision of relaxing the number of restrictions. Mike, you go ahead. Here's my take. I'm anti-relaxation. I like <sighs> just, from from my heart, I like the aesthetic, the look of it. You know, it just looked cleaner, having certain numbers for certain groups. Uh, you know, even Tom Brady himself talked about it. You know, he brought up the fact that, you know, just a direct quote from him. Good luck trying to block the right people now. Um, sometimes reading defenses is going to be just going to be different because you're going to see certain numbers and you're just going to you know who are they? Why are they there? You know it's just going to just going to mess them up and everything. It's just going to throw off the quarterbacks, just lead to probably more turnovers you would think. Um, and I just think the way it looks, it just in my opinion, it's just too college like for me. Well, all I have to respond to the Tom Brady comment is Josh Allen never complained, and he didn't seem to have any issue with it, you know, finding his receivers or who to throw to this season. But um, I really want to look back at the reasoning why. Um, It's because they were running low on numbers to give players at certain positions because they they bumped up the number of people on the practice squad from 10 to 16. So you need to give those people numbers too, so you got to expand the amount of numbers they can pick from. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, it makes sense why they did it. And I understand the confusion at the beginning and maybe the 
frustration. You know, Tom Brady's been around for a long time. He's headed a certain way for a long time. But um, I can understand why they did it, and I think it was the right move, especially when you look at it from the perspective of, okay, we need to make sure everyone has a number. Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Guys should be able to express themselves with whatever numbers they want. I mean, going to a hockey standpoint, look at Jack Eichel. He flipped from 15 to 9 because 9 just had that meaning for him. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these players probably have meaning towards single digits. But it's just, I don't know, like, just the whole look of it, the whole feel. I just liked how you had a certain group, you had that certain number. And like you said, people running out of numbers. Well, for wide receivers, for example... You have 20 numbers you can select from, 10 to 19, 80 to 89. You're not going to have 20 guys wearing those numbers. Same with tight ends. You know They get the 80 to 89 too, but you can also wear 40 to 49. So it's not like there's you're going to have 20 players in one position and just racking up numbers. Same thing with like you know running backs, defensive backs. They can wear the same numbers, but you know there's just enough of them. you're not gonna have 30 guys at that position right and i could see where you're coming from with that but i do think the change was inevitable because a lot of these college players do come from wearing those numbers and i feel like you know it's like you said sentimental you know to them at some point um where quarterbacks really you know like brady had the number 10 and 12 like he never had the small number he stayed with the quarterback numbers josh allen's always been number 17 through college and the NFL. But I mean, you look at Taron Johnson, he was number seven in college and he just changed his number back to number seven, you know? So, and I think it, 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 I really don't think it makes that much of a difference when looking at the, the field. I mean, I'm not out there. I can't really say anything on that, but, um, the only person I've heard complain about it is Tom Brady. So, well, I'm not a Tom Brady supporter here. You know, I, I don't like Tom Brady, but the thing with the college players those are rosters of 80, 90 guys. So they have to have those low numbers because they do just have that amount of players. You know, NFL rosters on game day is, I believe, 46. So you still have 50-plus numbers that would be available. And then an overall roster of 53. So, again, there's still 47 numbers available. So what you're saying is you're more pro-organizing the numbers and you're anti-choice. Correct. And I'm more pro-choice and anti-organizing the numbers. I mean, I understand looking at a line, a defensive lineman and seeing the number 99, you know, that's normal. And some of them are wearing single-digit numbers. And I'll admit, I'll admit, it was a little jarring at first, but it was nothing that wasn't able to be gotten used to, you know? Yeah. No. Um, I just think, you know, you still have a choice. You have all those numbers to pick from, and... It's not like they're telling you what number you have to wear. I guess in a sense they are. But you still have that choice of range of what you want to do. And even if, you know, you wear a single digit in college, if you're a corner, you come to the NFL, you get a new number, it's a new chapter in your career, you can make a new mark with that new number. Right. And I can see where you're coming from on that. And I do understand where, you know, there were there still was a choice and where there's now what feels like a little bit too many choices, like just, but, um, overall, I don't think it really matters. And it's the, the change has changed. I don't think there's really any way they're going to go back on that. I think that was more, um, during the pandemic kind of a deal. They did that. I don't think that's going to get reversed. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's just going to be an adjustment for other fans to see the new numbers. And, you know, I think both you guys did a good job with this debate. I will say, you know, 
Mike, having your main uh, witness be Tom Brady, the guy that played it's a little with sketchy. The guy that played sketchy. with deflated balls in the AFC Championship game. Maybe not the best choice, but let us know what you got, who you guys thought won, and we'll be back shortly after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. Um, if you are interested, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Buffalonian underscore pod and um, DM us any information. And our email is also in the description as well for any business hearings. Um, and also, if you're just listening and would like to comment or ask questions or have us talk about something, a topic on the next show, feel free to DM us and uh, let us know, and if it fits in with the next episode, we will for sure get to it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Buffalonian Pod. And moving forward in our world topic, we got a pretty major event in U.S. sport going on right now, and that's the Masters. Coming up this weekend, um, probably one of the most exciting things I like to watch. You know, I'm a big PGA guy, so I love watching the Masters every year. And I think maybe the headline right now is that Tiger Woods said he will play. I mean, what do you guys think of that? Um, I honestly saw him retiring after that injury. You know, um, I didn't see him making a return. Am I opposed to it? No, I would like to see a comeback story. You know, one last run, one last roar for the Tiger, if you will. You know, Um, you know, it's always like a Rocky story, bottom to the top. Well, it's always great to see an icon return. Yeah. uh, In some form. Uh, At least he didn't retire and unretire within two weeks of each other. That's that's also true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give him uh, about fifty to one odds to win, so they give him a chance. Do you guys think he has a chance of winning? Uh, personally, no. I think it's a good story. It's incredible that only fifteen months after a car accident that nearly killed him, mm-hmm. he's playing golf. But I don't think the way some of these other golfers are playing right now, mm-hmm. I don't think he's gonna win. Yeah, I don't think he's at his top tier game anymore. I think he's getting. You know, he's up there in age now too. He's one of the older guys, and he's. You know, like Mike said, 15 months ago, he was near death. So I, I really, I agree with Mike saying that it's a great story. You know, it's great for the tournament. I think it's going to bring some views back. That's for sure. Um, add some more people watching, you know. But do I think he's going to win? Absolutely not. I think he has a chance. If he can physically hold up, he has a chance for two reasons. One, he has experience in the big moments, and this is the biggest major of them all. And he knows the course better than anyone. He knows where to hit the ball. Like I mean, as a, as an average golfer myself, I just want to hit the ball straight. <clears throat> Below average. Okay. I just want to hit the ball straight. This guy knows everything. He knows exactly what spin to put. He knows where to place it directly on the green to get where he wants. That knowledge and his experience in the big moments will come handy for him. If he can physically hold up, I still think Tiger has a chance. No one thought he was going to win in 2019. No one thought Jack was going to win 1986. So these vets know what they're doing in these moments. They've been there before. I think that will help him, and possibly he could win. Yeah, no, just to add on to, like, your Tiger talk here, um, he has the highest make percentage for the cut in Masters history. Uh, 22 of 23 cuts made, so 96%. I believe second would be Justin Rose at 94%. So there's no doubt that this course, Augusta, he's just got it at this course. You know, he's a five-time winner. So there's no doubt that he's not lacking talent. It's just... Is it there at this stage in his career? So, you know, you think maybe Tiger has a shot, but between the both you guys, who do you think's winning it all? That is 
the question. Yeah, I honestly, I can't peg that right now. Well, I, you know who I would pick? I would pick Xander Shaffley, who's 22 to 1 odds that we've seen. Um, this is, like, about, like, the 10th best odds. I think that's good value. I think he, you know, every major I turn on, he's right there in the pack. He's had experience. Obviously, he hasn't had the success in the big moments, but he's been in the big moments. He's waiting for that breakthrough. He's like Ricky Fowler, in my opinion. He's the guy that always finishes second. It finishes in top five. I think, I honestly think this is his moment. This is his time to shine. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen much Ricky Fowler like that recently, but I do agree with Xander Shoffley. Like, we've seen in these major tournaments, he's always, the final day, he's in one of the, the um, premier groups here. Like, he's he has a shot to win. Mm-hmm. He has a shot to win. He's just got to put it all together and finally get over the edge. I think that's a good point. Joe, do you have anyone that sticks out? Um, honestly, I feel like I, I can't really pick. I think it's really tough. I mean, John Rahm, the favorite, you know. Ten to one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, easy pick, I think. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to play the favorite and make no money, that's on you. Um, well, they're, they're, that's why his odds are ten to one. The next best are 13 to one Jordan Spieth. They're like daring you to pick the favorite yeah well honestly if i had to pick one right now it would be spieth i think he's gonna he'll he's, do it he's gonna redeem himself for some of the some of his biggest collapses i know in the masters. i know i know danny willett we gotta thank jordan spieth for his masters win listen i think right now they're trying to get people to bet jordan spieth like you said they're they're, they're he's you know you got the second highest odds right you know what i mean so you he's you you want you want to pick him you know well, do you think it's disrespectful that Scotty Scheffler, who is sixteen to one, is the number one golfer in the world, and he has what the the fourth best odds, tie for the fourth best odds? You think that's disrespectful to him? He's uh, having a great year. He was twelfth in the world, and now he's number one. Yeah, the way Scotty Scheffler has just shot up the rankings this year, the way he's played, it's just been like amazing. Like I don't think anyone really, really foresaw Scotty Scheffler just playing the way he has. I mean, you really had to think he has a legit shot at winning this. I mean. He's been in contention, it seems like, in every tournament he's played in this year. Um, I know from that point, a 16-1 odd, that's, that's a good bet. That's a good um, lie for him. But if I'm picking someone to win it, I think um, Victor Hovland. I knew it. I could have I bet money on that. <laughs> you know, fourth in the world right now. The way he's been playing as well, he's been really good. Um, yeah, 18, plus 1,800, huh? Yeah, I mean... I just feel like the way he's been playing, him, Shuffler, these young guys, it's like there's like a new age of the PGA coming around. And it's I think it's sport. time I think it's time for these guys, they're gonna be competing at the end of it. And they're gonna show that hey, we're here, we're legit, you know. There's a lot of you know, other old guard, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Speeth, JT, you know, even Rom. So they're you know, they're those guys are going to be in contention, you got to think. But I, I, I agree. I think one of these young guys is going to come through for his first major. And I, I, got, I got big Xander. 22 to 1. And <laughs> I, I like those odds. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, a very entertaining Masters. I think. Yeah. You know, you, you just look at some of these groups here. I think, I think we can all agree that the main group people are going to watch on day one is Tiger Woods, Louis Oosthuizen, and Joaquin Neiman. Uh, I don't even know who Joaquin Neiman is. Joaquin Neiman, he's a Chilean, 23 years old. He's also been playing really well recently. I think as he gets older and more experienced, he's going to be a legit threat. And you know what? I don't know a single thing about him, and he's the first <laughs> pro I want to see. Why? 
Because tigers. There. Exactly. <laughs> the tiger effect is back, baby. That mm-hmm. story is just what people want to see. I mean, even some of these other groups, you see the defending champ. Hideki Matsuyama and Justin Thomas are paired together. You know, Matsuyama had to withdraw last you didn't think week. He was gonna, you didn't think he was going to go? No, I did not think he was going to go. Withdrawing last week due to injury, I thought maybe there's like a little uh, red flag for him this week. But, you know, I give him credit for uh, wanting to fight and try to defend his uh, green jacket there. Uh, but, no, there's just so many notables going. It's going to be int- interesting to see how this all plays out. I think it's going to be a very entertaining Masters. Well, golf was just so hard to pick the winner because there's so many people that can have a good weekend and all of a sudden exactly. a good 72 holes or a good 18 holes and just turn around. Right. Or, I mean, some, really or, 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 or they could just flop. It's it's really it's really insane. How It just, you know, there's a lot of luck to golf sometimes. Look in uh, 2019 with uh, Francesco Molinari. You know, we all thought, you know, he had it in the bag, but... He kind of choked, and we see Tiger just kind of win. Kind of. You know, uh, I'm trying to be frank here, you know? So Try not to chastise him? Not, no, no, we can't do that to our Italian friend there. Our no, Italian. Molinari. Italian buddy. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so Masters, really looking forward to watching it. Hope everyone tunes into it. And to wrap up today's episode, we're going to do some trivia. We're going to test the knowledge of Joe and Dom here. Uh, today's topics were Bills, Sabres, and Masters, so let's see how their knowledge is. I hope, hope it's a little bit tougher than last week. I know Dom had, he had he some pretty good answers. I'm yeah. two and one so far in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Joe, one and two. Joe mm-hmm. you gotta pick it up here. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. I'm gonna be 100% honest with you. Nah, you know what? I have With that confidence, he's not. <laughs> Alright, so we talked about the Masters today. We'll start right there. So, who has the most consecutive Masters played? Happy Gilmore. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Jack Nicholas. Jack, okay. Who are you thinking here? Rory McIlroy. Rory Mac. I will say Rory McIlroy. Just because he has the video game. <laughs> that is not the answer. Jack Nicholas is also not the answer. Tiger. Not Tiger. Definitely not Tiger. It is someone from the Jack Nicholas era. I will give you a hint. This was, might give it away. Was it Tom Watson? It's not Tom Watson. He has a drink named after him. Oh, Arnold Palmer. It would be Arnold Palmer. Uh, honestly, Arnie was going to be one of my second options, but when you said the Jack Nicholas era, I thought Tom Watson played. I mean, he played pretty long, so. Yeah, no, Arnold Palmer had 50 straight from 1955 to 2004. Not Whoa. to get confused with the all time mark of 52 by Gary Player. He did have a gap in that Oof. span. Arnold Palmer had 50 consecutive years playing in the Masters. Okay, another one goes my way, Joe. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll go number two here. Back back to our, our beloved Bills. Uh, who was the first coach in Bills franchise history? Dating back to nineteen sixty. God, this is embarrassing. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Ah, I I'm stumping him this week. It's not Lou Saban. Is it? No, it's not. He was in the eighties. You wanna give us a, give us a hint of some kind without giving it away? It's not Lou Saban. Um it it is not Lou Saban. Lou Saban was I believe it's not Knox. the third coach, second or third coach. I might have to get a fact check there. Someone can DM us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only coached for two seasons, 1960, 1961, and was 11-16-1 in that span. Oh, man. I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think you're going to win this one, Mike. I think, I think you stumped Yeah, me. you stumped both of us. I have no... Uh, sneaky Hembo here. Shout out to Get Up. Uh, we're going to have a Butch Ramsey. 
The original never coach. would have gotten that. <laughs> no know. way. Butch Ramsey, the no original way. coach of the Bills. And we say we're Buffalo sports pod. Yeah, yeah. Just like I said, only two years on the job, only 11 wins, so it's tough being kind of forgettable. Team, but yeah, you yeah, know, that's why. It was AFL days. Well, listen, Lou Saban, I think, is the first memorable coach of the Buffalo. I'd have Bills. to agree. I don't. I don't think I would have ever named. Yeah, I, I've already forgotten. <laughs> I've already forgotten who that Butch, was. Butch Smith. Butch. Butch Ramsey. <laughs> Rex Ryan. Forgettable. Rob? 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 All right. Third question. Final question. Sabres topic. Who recorded the first playoff hat trick in Sabres history? Happened in 1977. Rick Martin. Rick Martin. Rick Martin. I have no clue. No one? Is not a member of the French Connection. Was it Danny Gare? It was not Danny Gare. He at one time (laughs) spent time in the broadcast booth with RJ. Jim Lorenz? Let's go! It would be Jim Lorenz on April 9th of 77 versus Minnesota. Let us say Harry Neal. First hat trick in Sabres playoff history. Honestly, Rob Ray would have been a good guess. Rob yeah. Ray did not play in 1977, but. I don't even know if Rob. Has Rob Ray ever even scored three goals in the game? Rob Ray did score on his first shift in the NHL. But did he score three goals in the game? Uh, we'd have to fact check that as well. You know, if anyone wants to DM us that. Feel free. But, uh, you know, Joe, you got to start picking up on this trivia, I'm man. telling you, the older questions like that, that's where I fall apart, especially with the Sabres. Joe, so. yeah. Joe is currently 1-4-1. One, one. Yeah. yeah. Next one, next one. week, we'll get some new trivia. Hope you guys maybe took a shot at some of those. I know it stumped these two. Got to let us know if it stumped you. But uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll come back with another one next week. Thanks for listening. This has been the Buffalonian Pod. Go Bills. Once again, they call me Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Skin them up, him them, so I'm up in those kilts. Up in those kilts. Up, up in those kilts. Man, you don't want to go up in those hills. Up in those hills. Up, up in those hills. You better be where they clear Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill.